Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 18 of the That's So Mets podcast and as the winter meetings are going on around Major League Baseball we're slowly getting some rumors slowly getting some signings and getting some even some trades around the MLB right now but so far since Trevor May none too significant impacting our New York Mets but a lot of rumors out there a lot of things that we can read into and of course we're going to answer your questions on today's show so as always, I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always as well, my co-host, Joe DeMeo. Joe, we are now uh, inching towards the holidays. We are in the holiday season, which is usually the time of year that things start to happen with the hot stove. Things start to happen with the baseball offseason. Not all at once. It's definitely one of the slower offseasons of all the major sports. But how are we feeling? Uh, what's been your read on this? Has anything really jumped out to you? since the last time we talked on the That's So Mets podcast. A little surprising that you're seeing a lot of kind of mid-level guys move with some pretty decent money that I, I didn't expect, you know, Mike Miner to get the money he did. Uh, Carlos Santana signed with the Royals today for some pretty decent money too. So there's some moving parts, but, you know, it, it's going to be a slow winter a bit, and that's kind of wh- where we are. Uh, the winter meetings... Obviously, they're technically going on right now, but all the winter meetings are for 2020 is Zoom meetings for all the league discussions. Like, they're going to be negotiating this universal DH thing. They're going to be negotiating all things for the 2021 season. That's really what the winter meetings are this year. And then, of course, they'll do the Rule 5 draft on Thursday. But, yeah, it's not like a normal year where everyone is jammed in a hotel and basically, like, locked in like I remember when I was a kid they used to have lock-ins at the bowling alley I don't even know if you know what that is but like you'd go to the bowling alley at like 7 p.m and they would just lock the doors and you'd stay there until like 6 a.m and it was just something a bunch of kids would do like that's kind of what the winter meetings are for a week for baseball executives you basically get locked in a hotel you don't leave and that's often why you see a lot of action because agents and teams are right next to each other. So, you know, I could just grab you and say, hey, White Sox, we want to talk this deal, come to my suite and, you know, hammer it out in person. So uh, always in-person things, get things done a little quicker. But yeah, weird winter meetings here. But there there are some things starting to leak out a little bit about some moves happening and certainly some Mets rumors that are exciting to talk about. Without a doubt, I think we saw a potential Mets target, although I don't know how much you or I ever really bought into it, but Lance Lynn uh, going to the Chicago White Sox, they have a really nice trio at the top of their rotation now as they are clearly a a team in the American League that I would say is, you know, all in, in a sense, right? They're definitely all in on this year. They move a young starter in Dane Dunning. Uh, So that's one more arm that is off the board. But we're nowhere close to Panic City here, right? I mean, it's we're just not even – all the big guys are still left on the free agent market. I think there will be trades that surprise people because that's what happens every single year, quite frankly. But we have heard rumblings, and, and Joe and I are going to go through those rumblings. And with the first one, it, I wouldn't want to say it seemed like a done deal, but it seemed like from all of the media that it was picking up steam rapidly – with talks with James McCann, the cons- widely considered the second best catching option on the market. And when you look at this catching market this year, everybody knows that JT Realmuto, widely considered the best overall catcher in baseball, is going to get a lot of money. And James McCann, somebody that, you know, has obviously been a part time catching option because they have Grandal, a really, really good catcher in baseball. 
is someone that has played at a high level the last two years, has got better defensively, uh, absolutely hits, was a little bit of a late bloomer in a sense of turning into a, you know, an upper tier catcher in baseball. And I think when you look at it, when this report came out, that there was a couple things to take away here. One, that the Mets were the leading team by a pretty good margin to land McCann. And two, that all signs were pointing he was going to get a four-year deal, which in this market for a player of McCann, you know, Joe and I were kicking around a lot of things off the air. We said, you know, you don't love the idea of a four-year deal for McCann, but do you save some money? Is it a four-year 32, four-year, $34 million kind of deal where that annual average is pretty low. Uh, that's something that you wonder here. But our, my early read into this situation, Joe, and I'm very, very curious to hear your takeaway. We're about five days since that report. We did not get to talk about it on the last episode. It does seem like a little bit of a negotiating tactic, how that report came out, where you know it makes it sound like, oh, the Mets are, are trying to get this done with McCann right now and everyone's sitting there going well I thought the Mets were going to make a play at Real Muto and maybe it it means really quite nothing I'm sure the Mets have checked in on McCann it all signs point to the Mets have checked in on every free agent as they try to figure out who wants what money and how long the term is of the contract but to say that you know they're out on Real Muto or they're definitely signing McCann I just don't think we're there right now. Would he be a good option? Absolutely. Uh, He's somebody that I would be really, really excited about. If you come away with this offseason and say, hey, we're going to allocate our star money to George Springer and maybe an arm, and you sign McCann as one of your tier two signings, I think that's a really good play. But I think there was a couple things here. One, it's pretty clear the McCann party wants that four-year deal, and it's no accident that that got out there. I also think it might be a message You know, the Mets don't want to be used by everyone. It might be a message that you're sending across the league saying, hey, you know, we like James McCann a lot. We don't need to give $140 million to JT Real Muto right now. Now, if Real Muto wants that price to come down or wants the years to come down, we'll do business. But you got to realize when the Mets, if the Mets sign a, actually catcher is the perfect one, starting pitching is another one too. That hurts a lot of other free agents because the Mets are arguably the biggest powerhouse on the free agent market right now in terms of money, and that hurts leverage for agents when negotiating for their players. So that's my early stance on it. Joe, I'd be very curious to hear yours. Yeah, I actually think they're seriously interested in James McCann. And while I agree with you, I think there was a reason that report came out. One, One would point towards the agent side more so than the team side the Mets are obviously being tight-lipped about everything we don't even know who they've talked to for GM Uh, Trevor May dropped out of nowhere so the fact that it was so public you raise my eyebrow a little bit but I think the Mets have an intention of making a full-on pursuit for George Springer and I don't know that they're going to sign two of the three big free agents they still might it would surprise, it would surprise me. me. I just don't. I, I just, yeah. yeah, I don't think that's happening. I don't either. Uh, in, in that case, I think the money's going to Springer. And like you said, go to McCann and maybe it's seven, $8 million a year for three to four years. And, you know, you lock in a catcher. Because, frankly, this catching market really is Real Muto, McCann, Yadi Molina, who's probably just going to go back to the Cardinals, and then nothing. So... The Mets need to make sure that they come away with one of those top two. And I don't, I just don't feel comfortable going to the money that JT Real Muto is talking at this point. A lot of people think it's $150 million or more. And awesome player, best catcher in baseball. No one in the world would debate that. And I, I saw like a bunch of people trying to compare McCann and Real Muto on Twitter this past week. And they're not comparable players at all, but it's just about the bigger picture you can't just sign the best players everywhere I know it's what you want but that's not realistic so the Mets need to spread this wealth around a little bit and I think they should be making a full-on pursuit to try to lock in James McCann as soon as humanly possible and that way they can really shift their focus to George Springer to the starting pitchers that they need to acquire any trades that possibly are transpiring uh, there's certainly going to be talks about trades and I know Sandy Allison came out and said that, you know, we're going to focus primarily on free agency, but 
I'd be surprised if all they did was free agents. I imagine there's going to be some trade, one or two tri- uh, trickling in. But I, I think McCann right now should be the target. Like you said, he has improved defensively. His framing statistics have improved the last two years, especially in 2020. He was an elite pitch framer. And a lot of people believe he learned some stuff from Yasmani Grandal, who has historically been a big-time pitch framer. And McCann is open to analytics. Uh, he changed his stance, which is actually a big reason that he attributes his offensive outbreak to. He just opened his stance up, which he said gave him more visibility to the ball. And, you know, he's barreled up and had higher hard-hit ball percentages. You know, I, I think McCann is a bit of an upside play uh there is some downside because it's not too long ago that he was a non-tendered player so you're you're taking some risk but i think if the money's right it's certainly worth it and to me he's clearly the number two catcher and i'm not crazy about going for the number one catcher so give me the number two catcher and let me move on to springer who i really have to have i'm with you all the way on that i I think ultimately it makes sense that he's their target. It, it does make sense that the Mets are out in front with McCann. Uh, I think the overall thing is, you know, like baseball goes, it develops slowly. Now, I'm with you, though. When you look at it from a financial and fit standpoint, you know, when you talk about the money difference, even if this went to 440, which is a lot for him, but Springer is the is the perfect fit. And we're going to get to Springer in a second because Buster only had a really interesting uh, quote about Springer and the Mets. But I absolutely do agree that, you know, you're not looking to go into the market and signing. We don't think they'll sign two of the three, right? We don't think it'll be Real Muto and Springer or Real Muto and Bauer. And if you have to just wipe one off the board right away, you have to play catcher a little differently in this market. Because like Joe said perfectly, there's three guys, and there's really two. Because Yadier Molina has shown no interest to go anywhere but back to St. Louis. And everybody knows that. Now, I, you know, I even saw something that there, there's rumors that, you know, the negotiations have been a little disappointing from the Cardinals' side because – they probably know it's not going to take a ton to get him back. So with the idea of Yachty being essentially off the board and the Mets having a gigantic hole at catcher, and I apologize for the sirens in the background, <laughs> but when you look at the giant hole at catcher, it's either or. And if you know that you're like, hey, which all signs have pointed, the Mets want to allocate a lot of that superstar money to Springer, well, then you sit there and go, okay, then we got to get the number two guy on the market. So the rumors, they do make a lot of sense. Even though I started off saying it's a, it's a negotiating tactic, which it absolutely is, and I'm not convinced the McCann deal makes it to four years. I, I could see it getting to three unless they do give a discount on that annual average per year. But I do think when it all adds up, it makes a lot of sense that you have to play the catching market a little differently. You have to be a little more, bit more aggressive because if you sit on your hands just a day too long, you might be sitting there going, oh my God, we don't have one for next year. And catchers, Joe, I'd like your thoughts on this, but the catcher trade market in terms of a, a high-end starter, even a middle-of-the-pack starter, it just doesn't really seem to exist in baseball that much. So there are rumors that the Cubs will shop Wilson Contreras. So that would be a catcher that is of good quality that would be available on the trade market. But offensively, right? Defensively, though? He's fine defensively. At at the end of the day, with catcher, for the most part, you're kind of picking offense or defense. There's how many catchers in the league are really good behind the plate and really good hitters. It's usually one or the other. Two? Yeah. (laughs) Grandal and Real Muto? Pretty much. So, like, that's, that's... pretty much where you live so you have to kind of pick and choose i think mccann is like a good balance where he's oh he's solid at both like he's not a great hitter he's not a great catcher but he's not a bad catcher or a bad hitter either so he's somewhere you know in the middle so i think that's a good even ground but the trade market does the salver perez do something for you maybe uh yeah it's 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 not gonna be a ton out there so to me i think what the Mets did with Trevor May, I wouldn't have any issue if they took that perspective with James McCann where they said, this is the guy we want. We're just going to lock him in. And if it takes an extra year, 
it takes an extra year. If it takes, you know, maybe a couple more bucks than we want to give, so be it. You know, you, you got to lock in your guy. As Sandy Allison said, the focus needs to be on the acquisition over the cost. It's not about getting the perfect contract and the perfect value because if you play that game, that's how you lose out on guys. And big market teams, I know we're used to, you know, not being that, but we are a big market team now. And the perspective has to be, does it really matter if we give McCann $9 million instead of $7 million? Who really cares at that point? Obviously, you don't want to be reckless and just say, I'll give whatever I have to to get a guy. But if you have to go maybe a tiny bit out of what you ideally would give, then that's the cost of doing business in free agency. Yeah, that's that's generally how it goes, where... You know, if you want to be one of those teams that you say you're going to spend, you're going to be out in front, even in a slow-moving market that is the baseball offseason. So I want to dive into Springer before we answer some questions here. And this doesn't have to be long because we've we've really, uh, you know, fed the fed horse here a million times on Springer. But it's still interesting because Joe and I are really big fans of the player, uh, really big fans of the idea of him being the Mets' number one target. And now it seems like there is there's a lot of you know signs here, even in the in the big national media where Buster only said on radio that he's almost ready to bet the family farm on the Mets signing Springer. Now Buster, you know this is kind of a running saying, a running joke. I, I believe Buster grew up on a farm or ha- legitimately has a gigantic family farm. And when he believes something is going to happen, that's an expression he uses. And it kind of goes to show you here that, you know, Joe and I have drawn our own conclusions for a while here with Springer. Number one, there, you know, you read into things that he might want to come back closer to home. You know, people have done that with him in the Red Sox a lot. Um, the point is, I think the Northeast might be something in factor. And at the end of the day, this comes down to money. But still, it's something that it, it makes him in play. The Mets have a lot of money. They have a need at center field. He's a big splash. And quite frankly, he's the kind of player that makes sense to go for in the market, right? He's a, he's a really good defensive center fielder or a, a good defensive center fielder that, you know, I'm sure at the end of a long contract will move to a corner, but that's okay. He turned 31 in September, so not really an old free agent in terms of baseball. He has performed at an extremely, extremely high level in the postseason before. Uh, He's somebody that, you know, you didn't see a a big decline this year after the sign-stealing scandal. He checks all the character boxes from everybody that you talk to. So it it feels, in a sense, like an even bigger level kind of addition, like how Granderson was, and that team eventually made it to a World Series, where it's a veteran outfielder with pop, you know, with that postseason experience, that super high character, this guy can play center field at a pretty good level, we think, for the next two to three years, it, where it, it all makes sense. And then you're hearing Buster say that, and you, at the top of the show, Joe, you said, you know, you've said before, you think that Springer will be the first big one to sign. It makes the most sense. I think this would not surprise me if we see the Mets hand out that $125 million deal to Springer before Christmas. I I really think that, and when Buster says something like that, it leans that way. I do think Springer has a healthy market. You know, not all free agent position players will have a healthy market this year because of the pandemic. I think he will have one. But this, to me, seems like the Mets just, I I don't think they'll be outbid for him. And quite frankly, I would be disappointed if they were. Boy, I love posting that photoshop of springer in the gray mets jersey i posted every chance i get that's a clean yeah, that's one a, that's it's a perfect. Good, i don't i actually don't know who did it but whoever did awesome job that's a very good uh photoshop there but no you hit basically everything i wanted to say uh springer is the perfect fit for this team center fielder like you said probably the next two to three years and then i think he's going to be an elite corner outfielder for the remaining call it two years of a deal or three years of a deal. So I don't think they're in a bad position that if he ends up not a center fielder for the whole contract, that's okay. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. He, he is going to get older. But offensively, he is to a T what the Mets need. 
right-handed bat. He has thump. He can bat anywhere from one to five in the order. He spent a lot of time actually batting leadoff for the Astros. So he has the ability to bat wherever you really need him to. And high character person, there's no question. He is the leader of the Houston Astros, and they're going to miss him. But, you know, he's he's ready to move on from Houston. And, frankly, the team you want to worry about is Toronto, probably. Uh, they're certainly looking to spend big money, and I know Springer is on their radar as that was on Toronto radio this weekend, and, you know, they expressed that to me, that certainly that's someone that the Blue Jays have a lot of interest in, and they've even come out and said that they've been in communication with his agent. So that's the team you got to worry about. But for me, if there's a time for, you know, at least for this offseason, where the old phrase from the Black Edge book about Steve Cohen what Stevie wants, Stevie gets, has to be George Springer. That's got to be the guy that they say, he's the one we want, and you get him. And if it costs you, like you said, 125 only even speculated possibly as much as $150 million. But I would have to guess if it went to 150 that would be over maybe six years. So maybe that's him getting an extra year on the deal. But five years, 125 130 in that range, you know, they should be – getting that done as soon as they can and certainly like you said i think i think he will be the first free agent of the the big four so let's call it bauer rail muto um lemayhew and springer i think springer will be the first one signed and we need one of those tweets from like last year where like dylan batansis was with the christmas tree and they're like merry christmas here's dylan batansis and imagine like, now we have Steve Cohen. Dylan Batances isn't a Christmas gift. He's, like, a stocking stuffer. And, like, at the <laughs> at the bottom of the stocking, and you have to, like, dig. And you're like, oh, oh wow, okay. That's the that's the end of that, I guess. But, no, I, I think, you know, you need one of those. Let's get a picture of Springer in a Mets uniform next to a Christmas tree. I'm down for it. So, sign me up. And this is a perfect transition to our questions of the week. We really appreciate how – how much interaction we've gotten with the podcast really since the the sale went through and Cohen has taken over things have just picked up and, and we love it so thank you so much this one from turbo jesse do you expect the big four free agents and and he referenced the same as you springer bauer real moto and lemayhu to sign before new year's eve so for me uh, i think springer will uh i think bauer won't I think Bauer will milk this process for every last day that he can until he has to take a big dollar offer, and we've seen him already do that uh, through a lot of interviews and social media channels, including his his agent getting in on the fun as well. Uh, Real Muto, I think, will get done right around then, and <sighs> LeMahieu, I, I quite frankly cannot figure out. You would think the Yankees would have, you know, gotten this done because they I don't think they can afford to lose him and it, it seems to be dragging on when you hear the interest of the Mets and the Dodgers involved as well so Joe what are your predictions so Springer yes Bauer I'm gonna say no but he's such an oddball man like would it blow your mind that it just came out today like it could come out today it could come nothing it, surprises yeah, with me, Bauer man. it could come out today it could come out February 2nd or anywhere in between so I have I honestly don't know what to expect with Bauer but I lean that he's going to wait out and make sure he gets the right deal with the right team cuz he's the kind of guy that is looking into his he's not your typical free agent that obviously he wants to get paid but that's not his top top priority i don't think trevor bauer is a guy that is basically saying i'm going to take the top offer wherever it is i picture him wanting to see what other team what the teams do so you know i know that the mets have interest in trevor bauer how much interest i'm not sure uh certainly i think they have more interest in springer and i don't expect that they'll get both but you know that's a situation where Bauer's going to watch what the Mets do. He's going to watch what the Angels do and see kind of what is a good fit for him. Real Muto, like you like you said, I think that's that's going to be cutting it close. I think he's uh, right after Christmas, maybe real beginning of next year. He's got a he's trying to cash in. There's no question. So he might have to wait a little bit to get that mega deal that he wants. I don't know how much. Phillies are in trouble too uh, oh, right yeah. now. Yeah, which which factors into his market a lot because, I mean, how many teams, Joe, can go out there and give a five year deal 
at mega money to a catcher. I, I mean, he should he should actually be nervous of the Mets signing McCann because yes. people are going to look at each other and go, oh, the Mets are out? Well, this changes rapidly oh. changes your market. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Real Muto needs the Mets to not sign McCann, or at least not sign him anytime soon because uh, otherwise his market, I, I, don't, I don't know where it's going to go. I think Toronto, just like the Mets are in on everything, I think Toronto is in on everything as well. And I've heard some non-contenders like Detroit and Seattle as possibilities that could be dark horses. But then Real Muto, does he want to commit to not contending? I know, I don't know. So he, he I think, will end up maybe just after the new year because he's got to make sure he gets the right deal. And, boy, he needs the Mets to stay around a little bit. Uh, otherwise, I think he loses a lot of money and leverage because once that – the Mets and their money are out. He, it's gonna be hard to leverage the other teams so much, and then it, uh, with Lemayhew, I, I he's gonna go back to the Yankees. I think uh, I know he has interest from other teams, but it's well known he wants to go back. He doesn't want to leave, and he's just as of now holding firm on five years. I have to imagine there's some kind of you know middle ground there where the Yankees and and him can work that out this month. Because the Yankees are banking their whole offseason on DJ LeMahieu. Andy Martino and uh, Michael Kay have both reported that if the Yankees sign LeMahieu, they're not gonna, they're not even going to be able to afford to bring back Masahiro Tanaka. So they're in a crunch, and everything is based on LeMahieu. So I'm going to say LeMahieu signs before the new year because I think the Yankees have urgency to figure something out here because they need to understand that are they able to retain LeMahieu? If they're not, they have to figure out what their next move is, and they can't wait until sometime in January to pivot. So I think LeMahieu gets done with the Yankees this month. Man, I think Toronto, and I don't think he'd want to go there. I think Toronto is going to make this very difficult for the Yankees. I can really see a scenario playing out where you know, Toronto scares you as a Mets fan because, like you said, Joe, they are absolutely in on, on anyone that is a very good baseball player, no matter the price. But you got to look at it and sit there and go, man, you're talking about one of the best players in your division from the Yankees? And the Yankees, the rumors out there that they're trying to, you know, cut back some money. And LeMahieu, all the leverage he has right now, a guy that can play multiple infield positions at a high level can hit at an M almost an MVP caliber level. And this is really it for DJ LeMayhew, right? I mean, this is it. You're getting paid. You take every last year they give you. And the flip side, everybody knows he wants to go back to the Yankees. But, I mean, I'm sitting there, Joe. What if Toronto offers him five years, 100 mil? Like That, that, seems, I mean, that seems to be his target contract. Uh, at least that's what's being reported. He wants I think five. it's realistic. I, I don't think it's unrealistic at all. So... I, don't, I just don't think the Yankees want to go there. I th I don't think the Yankees yeah. will. I think they'll sit at 15 mil a year. Or maybe... I think it's the years more. Maybe 480? You think it's the term? I think it's the term. I think the Yankees have it budgeted to hit that 20 mil or so a year mark with LeMahieu. I do think they have that budgeted. I mean, think about it. They gave him the qualifying offer. So they that is 19 million. So it's, it's so negligible. I think they... They have it in their budget to hit the, the financial figure. I just don't think they want to go with a 32-year-old on a five-year deal. I think they want to keep mm -hmm. I think they want to keep it to four. To me, the natural in-between, and you know, this is easy for me to say from my wonderful throne here, that all right, just do four in an option. Done. A vesting option that vests if he's healthy for, you know, the whole contract. So plate appearances in years three and four, if he gets you know, pick a number, whatever it is, for like a full full season and say if he hits this number, then the fifth year vests. Because they have, con I think their concern is more the length than the money. Man, we are going to learn how much DJ LeMetu really wants to be a Yankee. Uh, my gut feeling is people are going to make it much more difficult than they would prefer. But hey, you know, he comes back, you reap what you sell, right? The Yankees have done this to how many teams over a million years? So... I'm not going to sit here and tell you I feel bad because I don't. All right, the next one from Jim D. Based on what the Rangers got back for Lancelin, which I said earlier was Dane Dunning. He's a 25, 26-year-old 
you know, guy that was in the MLB top 100 prospects not that long ago. Uh, what prospects would have been a comparable offer from the Mets? I'm going to throw this one to Joe. My gut feeling is he's going to say uh, JT Ginn, but Joe, you have the floor. I feel like Dane Dunning just fits right smack dab in the middle of Matt Allen and JT Ginn. Like, I don't think he's as good as Matt Allen, and I think he's probably a little better than JT Ginn. Um, but for that argument, like you said, I think JT Ginn is probably the closest, but I would rather have Dane the Mets don't have much no. to compare. Yeah, the, the Mets don't have much. And that's and that's another thing that why building up a farm system is so important is the White Sox can afford to trade this guy, and they're fine because they have plenty of other prospects in the system, and they're obviously a, a young major league team. So they can afford to do that. If the Mets trade a JT Ginn, you know, I'm not saying JT. I, I I'm a big fan of JT Ginn, but you know he's probably not like a franchise altering arm. He's a quality big league arm in my opinion. You know as long as he comes back healthy and all that good stuff. But the Mets, if they traded him, their farm system takes an even bigger dive again, and they can't afford to do that. Certainly for someone like Lynn, which great he is a great pitcher, and I think people don't realize how good Lance Lynn is. But he's 33 years old and. He has a one-year deal, basically. So how much in prospect capital do you want to give up for someone like that? And Because it's not all about 2021. Like, certainly we want the Mets to go to the World Series this year, but that's it, it's, it's really about the, it's about the long term. You want to get the pieces in. You want to be competitive. You want to be a playoff team in 2021. But I don't think right now is the time to push all your chips into the center of the table and go all in for the Mets. I don't think it's now. I think now is setting yourself up. I kind of look at now as like the 2004-2005 offseason for the Mets where, all right, now we're going to start playing. We're going to go get Beltron. We're going to get Pedro Martinez. We're going to get Tom Glavin. We're going to get Billy Wagner, Paula Duca, Delgado over, you know, that span and you know, I, I think they're they're building towards their version of 2006 that hopefully goes a little better and, you know, they take it all the way. But, yeah, I think 2021 has to be about setting your building blocks for a World Series run in the next couple years. And if it works out that you make a World Series now, that's awesome. You, you, you'll take it anytime you can get it. But, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's push all your chips in yet. You want to retain the bulk of your farm system and certainly arms because they don't have any. So they have to, they have to be careful what they do with prospects, but that's probably the closest I got is again, because I, I prefer Matt Allen to Dane Dunning. This is, yeah, it's a very phase one situation that the Mets are in, right? When you look at it, you sit there and go, oh, okay, you know, they're, they're going to make some big additions this off season. They are going to look to solve a lot of the holes, but are we thinking the Mets are going to go in with their World Series roster this year? No. And if you're the White Sox, man, they're getting close. Uh, you know, I, I was telling Joe today, I, I I don't like Adam Eaton as a signing for them, yeah. but they needed a yeah. corner outfielder. Joe said it to me. I said, after the Lance Lynn move, I said, you know, wow, this is a, they're going for it. And he's like, yeah, all they need is a, a corner outfielder. And then an hour later, they signed Eaton. Well, they should have signed a, and, you they know, should have signed a good one. Like that would have helped. Yes. <laughs> they didn't. Yes. They, yeah. Yes. And you, you know, you did reference the, their bullpen needs some work, but every team has those questions. They are, they're a really good baseball team. And, and that move made a ton of sense for them. And like you said, Joe, the Mets are going to rebuild the farm. So when they get to that phase of, Hey, we're, you know, we need a we we can go for a rental piece. We can go for a one year arm. They can afford to make that risk. So they're not there yet, but under Cohen, they absolutely will get there. So this one from Alex uh, T7L. Thanks for the podcast, new subscriber, and I love it. Assuming no Arenado, who is the Mets starting third baseman in 2021? So I'll start this one by saying that. You know, if we wipe out the potential of a Lindor trade, I think you'll see a lot of platooning at third base for the Mets. I think you'll see J.D. Davis play third for the Mets. I think you'll see Andres Jimenez play third base for the Mets. I think you'll see, you know, maybe a time where McNeil slides over there, although I think we feel confident he's going to be permanently at second base with the shocking uh, Cano suspension that came down this offseason. So, 
I'm going to say the Mets don't make that big splash in the trade market because of the they want to keep prospects, and I think it'll be a platoon of J.D. Davis and Jimenez. I So I think Jimenez is going to be the primary shortstop, but yeah, I think he'll obviously get some reps at third base, and if we're saying no Nolan Arenado, which I think is not something that we should completely and utterly rule uh, rule out, just because I think you might be able to get him at a value. And so it's certainly something worth monitoring. But as we currently stand, J.D. Davis is going to be the primary third baseman. But another question, are they going to trade J.D. Davis? Are they going to use him to get pitching? Does a team like Cincinnati want him? I know they kind of have Eugenio Suarez, but just as an example, could they use him as part of a deal for a Sonny Gray? Can they use him as part of a deal with the Cubs for a U Darvish? Because Chris Bryant is seemingly going to be moving on, so maybe they trade Chris Bryant for a couple prospects, and then the Mets ship J.D. Davis and something for U Darvish to get that money off their hands. That's something to consider. And in that case, you now need a third baseman. And if it's not Arenado and it's not J.D. Davis, let's play along with that. A couple names that intrigue me, uh, Ha Sung Kim, who got posted from Korea. I don't know. I don't think the Mets really have the presence overseas enough current as currently constructed to really have the gall to go for someone like Ha Sung Kim, because certainly you want people on the ground that have seen him and can vouch for him. The Mets don't really have that big international presence, so I have doubts they'll go there, but I hope so. And then the other option in free agency, which I think is kind of intriguing, because I saw a report that he is being looked at for multiple positions outside of shortstop, which is primarily where he's played. Marcus Simeon from the Oakland A's is a free agent. Been a shortstop. He was an MVP candidate in 2019. Had a tough go this year, but if Sandy Olsen has history with him for sure, and if the Mets were to bring on a Billy Owens as GM, there's even more of a connection there. So third base to me, it's on the back burner a little bit because they have J.D. Davis, but it won't shock me if J.D. Davis is not on this team next year and the third baseman also is not on this team right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, a lot can change. And, you know, if the Mets trade Ahmed Rosario, then I don't think Jimenez plays a lot at third. I think he plays over 150 games at short. So there's there's a lot of different factors in there. And, and man, you know, Simeon picked a bad year to have a bad year because, my goodness, uh, he had a phenomenal in 2019, and then he had a just a really, really bad short in 2020, unfortunately. And, you know, he's probably a player that's somewhere in the middle of those two players, right? He's probably not a 285, 33 home run player, and he's probably not a 223, you know, seven home run in a shortened season kind of player. He's probably somewhere in the middle. Now, how is he defensively, Joe, where you think, like, is he a good enough athlete that you think he can make the move to third? Yeah. Because this is a name we have we have never, ever brought up in this free agency class. Yeah, no, Simeon can move. He's an average to slightly above average shortstop, which to me thinks he might actually even end up better at third. The The arm strength is – he has arm strength. So that's and, – and shortstop, the arm strength to play shortstop, I don't think it's talked about enough. To make those throws like deep in the hole, that's further throws than third basemen are making. So – I think Simeon can transition well to third base, and I don't know that the Mets are interested, but it's a. I think it's a name to keep an eye on if he's willing to play something other than shortstop. He's pretty big for a shortstop, too. 6'1", 200 pounds. I, I mean, that's a pretty big shortstop. So a transition to third um, over time, you know, it makes a little sense there. That's an interesting name and something that we just haven't brought up. So uh, third is... You know, we talk about center field and we talk about catcher and we talk about pitching every episode. I love that we got this question from Alex because we don't talk about third. And it's one that, quite frankly, a million different things can happen. So we'll see where that one goes. All right, final question of episode 18, and then we'll do the review of the week. Uh, love that we've been getting those. This one from Nick Mice. 
Nick underscore mice. With the universal DH not looking like it's happening this year, how does this change your offseason plans? I think we just stick Dom and left and trade Nimmo. All right, Joe, take it away because <laughs> I know you might have a meltdown. All here. right, so first off, the universal DH, just because they sent— I agree with him. Ju- no, well, ju- just because they sent out the memo, in that memo, which people ignored that part— is that it's still under discussions and it still could happen, but they're telling people to plan as if it's not there. I still think they're going to end up figuring it out and there's going to be a DH in 2021. But let's play along and say that they don't. All right, so it does not change my offseason plans whatsoever because the DH, if it is not here in 2021, will be here in 2022. Bet the house on that. That There's no way they're going to have a new CBA without a DH in both leagues, so... If you're a anti-DH guy, you know, I guess you could hope and pray that you get one more year of quote-unquote National League Baseball. But it's if it's not over now, it's over in less than 12 months. And it would be beyond short-sighted to make a decision like trading Brandon Nimmo, who has more two years of control left. So if he was a free agent after this year, I'd get it. But he's going to be a part of the team in 2022 as well. And there will be a DH then. So I'm not in any rush to trade him. And it just will create an interesting dynamic of, all right, they have three guys for two spots. Alonzo, Dom Smith, and then Nimmo's obviously not a first base option, but first and left are the two spots. And those are the three players. And someone's going to find more time on the bench and, that's the way it goes. Uh, but let's also be honest. Has there ever been a time that I can't even think of a team that's not the Mets? Forget the Mets, because that sure as hell has never happened here. But I can't even think of another team where it's just like, man, they have just so many good players. Like, they don't even know. They can't do anything about it. This this kind of situation works itself out every single time. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's not going to be performing like you think they will. Every single time this situation works itself out. And no, so I wouldn't just throw Dom and left. Frankly, I don't even, I I hate Dom Smith and left. I understand it. You want to get his bat in the lineup. So I understand that's probably, if there's no DH, that is where he will have to spend at least a percentage of the time because Pete Alonso is unlikely to be a backup, at least early on. So you have to deal with it. But man, I want to see, I think if you have a Nimmo, Springer and Conforto outfield, I think that's a top three or four, maybe even better outfield in all of the game. So it'll be some tough decisions that they'll have to make, but they always work themselves out. Keep your good players and, you know, have as much depth and quality talent as you can. So that way you're not trotting out some of the guys that the Mets have trotted out. I mean, how much time did Aaron Altair play for the Mets? So... You don't want to see any more of that. So I'd say keep keep the guys. Keep Nemo. Obviously, if a, if a deal makes all the sense in the world, you trade almost anybody. But I wouldn't react to what the rules are in 2021 to make my ultimately long-term organizational decisions. No, it's it's... That's the uh, rational, classic Joe response. <laughs> and it's spot on. I mean, it is. You look at it and it's... These things always work themselves out. I am still, let me put it this way. I'll be surprised if there's no DH in the NL this year. There's too much at stake with jobs. Uh, There's too much to gain for it. It's not something that you can treat like a seesaw, right? You don't go back and forth with a DH because then it affects everybody's roster construction. And, you know, for a league that needs to supplement its free agent market, Quite frankly, this should have been done by now. It's actually a shame that it it's lingering like this while free agency is going on. But let's you know, let's just say there won't be one. It, I I don't want Dom in left either, but Dom has to play. I mean, we look at the jump Dom has made, and you're talking about in a, a potential elite offensive player. What's frustrating is Dom is a an above average glove at first, so. It's, you know, I've, I've said this on the pod from day one. I love Pete Alonzo. I would DH Pete. And now with Cano gone for the year, it's almost like, and you don't have to do it every day. But realistically, if you're getting an upgrade at defense, 
at first base with Dom, you play Dom at first and you DH Pete. And I know that's not what Pete wants, but Pete is a guy that understands you have to do what's best for the team. And quite frankly, with the DH, Dom playing first is what is best for this team. So, I mean, it, that's how that works out for me. If there really is no DH, it's it's messy. I mean, Dom has to play. He has to play. And you can't sit Pete. <laughs> so, I, I don't want to say the Mets are in trouble if there's no DH, but man, it's... It would be extremely frustrating as a Mets fan if there is no DH this year. Yeah, that it just complicates the puzzle. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It just makes it more complicated. They're not like I know Tim Healy was partly ch- tongue in cheek, but in an article he wrote for Newsday, he said the Mets would be screwed. I mean, if the worst thing in the world is that Brandon Nimmo is you know a part time player, no, that's that's yeah, they could do way worse than that. So. I don't think they're screwed. I just think it, it just makes the puzzle a lot more complicated. So they just have to they just have to work through it. And to me, I would operate as if I'm going to have the DH, to be totally honest. And if even though MLB said otherwise, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go with that. I would just say, all right, well, I'm just carrying on as I thought. I'm signing George Springer. I don't care. That's happening for me. If if I'm in charge. I'm signing George Springer, and I'm figuring out left field, first base, DH. However that, if that, however that happens, it happens. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to get the best baseball players that I can to build the best baseball team that I can, and you know, figure out the pieces. That's what, that's what it has to come down to. Yeah, I mean, listen, Springer plays center field, and he plays it at a good level. That's the difference. And the Mets don't have a center fielder right now. I mean, Nimmo is not a good option in center field. Conforto should not be playing center field, and he won't be. And, you know, if they don't get Springer, you have Jackie Bradley out there, but he's a great defensive player. But, you know, Jackie Bradley's not George Springer at the plate. So it just doesn't it just doesn't impact it at all. You're, you're talking about a pretty simple equation. The Mets need a center fielder, and signing George Springer – is doesn't impact the DH situation at all. You know, it the equation becomes what to do with Nimmo. And because you need to play Dom every day, and Joe is right, these things work themselves out. You hate to say it. I mean, let's not forget, it was not that long ago. We didn't really have Nimmo for a year. And I, you know, I I want to see Nimmo be have a long, great career, but it, it, let's not act like it's been, you know, and Dom has been hurt before too. Guys get hurt. It's professional sports. So I don't know if the Mets would just rush on the phone and be like, we got to trade Nimmo or we got, and I think you're going to see a similar approach with JD Davis and Ahmed Rosario this off season. Joe and I have been vocal. I think it makes sense to trade both of those guys. I like JD a lot, but I think JD has a lot of value right now because he has so many team control years ahead of him. And I don't know if he's going to get a lot better offensively. And he's not, he's a defensive liability. Unfortunately, it's what he is. And Rosario, it hasn't worked out here. He's still young, so maybe teams value that. I don't know what kind of value he necessarily has on the market, but Jimenez needs to play. And, you know, if Lindor's out there, it's another conversation for another day. But it's a different scenario for me. But time for the review of the week. It was a fun show. We addressed a lot of rumors, addressed a lot of things. And the review of the week is from Milo Mitchell, which this was a really cool one um, because – it's just I'll, I'll read it just the way you know it's it's cool in the how much a podcast can resonate not locally it can resonate anywhere because you just open your phone and you listen to it and Milo said uh, it's a must listen I've been a Mets fan my whole life I moved across the country a few years back and haven't been able to attend games like I did as a kid Connor and Joe are the most exciting Mets podcast slash news I've ever heard and I get anxious each week waiting for their next episode look forward to the rest of this offseason and their amazing shows to help this East Coast kid feel back at home. Let's go Mets. And I think that's pretty awesome because I think we've all, you know, felt that way before about it. Everybody roots for a team that might not be near them or uh, if you move out of the area, if you travel for work. So really appreciate that one from Milo. Joe, closing thoughts on episode 18. That was a very nice review. You know, I I, I really appreciate that everyone is doing this. Uh, the ratings are looking awesome. Uh, appreciate everyone going on. I think from last episode we got something neighborhood of like thirty more 
ratings with the stars. So that's, you know, progress. So really appreciate everyone doing that. It really means a lot that you all take the time to write, to just write nice things about what we're doing. Cause frankly, to me, this is fun. Like I'm just sitting here shooting the shit about the Mets like this. It, it doesn't get better than this. So the fact that you all are enjoying it, uh, it, it definitely makes me feel good. So I greatly appreciate it. And then closing thought, I asked on Twitter, will the Mets make a move during that So Mets podcast? And I'm doing a drum roll kind of. The Mets have made a move. They are cornering the Trevor market. They have agreed to a minor league deal with side armor Trevor Hildenberger. (laughs) So Trevor Hildenberger, who has actually spent time in the big leagues with, let's guess who, the Minnesota Twins, Jeremy Hefner for GM. He's getting everyone. He's bringing everyone in. <laughs> so Man, Trevor Hildenberger is... is now a Met on a minor league deal. Invite the spring training per Andy Martino. And, yeah, Jeremy Hefner's doing it all. Maybe maybe that's the GM, and we're just not even thinking about it. If they sign Bauer, and I'm not advocating that they do, but if they do, I just want a picture of the three tre- – like, I want the three Trevors at a presser when everybody can be back together in person holding up their jerseys and just and make it the three Trevor signings. Oh. And that would, like, make Bauer mad that it's not all about him. There's three Trevors up there with hey, him, tre- and they're all different levels of pitchers. Trevor Williams is out there, too. He got uh, non-tendered, I think, by the Pirates. So there is another Trevor for maybe some starting pitching depth. So – there are more Trevors to get. Sign them all. Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> That's a wrap on episode 18. We'll catch you guys next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.